Good morning and Merry Christmas to everybody. Good to see you. Woo! Here we go. We got all kinds of stuff to do today. And so what you're going to need is you're going to need your Bible. What we're going to do is have a little bit of time of uh, stories with Pastor Lance, right? Uh, because we're going to be talking about all the setup before Christmas. When we think back in our lives and we say things like, you know, it all started at Christmas. What a Gentile thing to say. You know what I'm saying? The Jews are like, what? Hold on. There were thousands of years before Christmas came in. And, and that was a fulfillment of all that God had set up before that. And so what I want to do is kind of design for you the incredible power of Christmas. Now, uh, when I say Christmas, I need you to know what I mean, right? The, all the trappings of kind of the, uh, the tree and the presents and all that stuff. Um, the way that I kind of think of that stuff has been referred to by my wife as Scrooge-ish. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the best at kind of those traditions. Whenever I think of Christmas, I'll tell you what gets me fired up. If we're talking about God coming in the flesh and being with us, I'm all in. If we're talking about the whole world being transformed and changed, if we're talking about supernaturally all of reality being shifted, that's the kind of stuff that gets me fired up, right? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So when I say Christmas, I'm thinking absolutely God with us, right? That's the kind of the whole point for me. So in order to design out why Christmas became such a massive deal, I'm going to take us back to the beginning. We actually are going to begin with kind of a concept that was given to me when I was in seminary. Uh, one of the famous professors of Western Seminary where I attended uh, is a guy named Carl Laney. Carl Laney is out of Portland, Oregon, and he came up, he wrote a bunch of different com- bi- new Bible companion commentary, stuff like that. He's kind of a scholar guy. And he came up with a very simple concept that explains how to read the Bible. Now, I love anything that crushes it down and makes it simple. So let me give this to you and I'm going to kind of teach off this concept. Here's the concept. It's only three words. People, place, and presence. We just kind of memorize that in your head. People, place, and presence. And here was his concept. On every page of the Bible, we always can ask the same question. Are God's people in the place that he desires engaging with his unhindered presence? If they are not, then God is getting them there. So anywhere you go, whether you want to start out in the Garden of Eden or you want to talk about Revelation at the end, are God's people in the place that he desires experiencing his presence. So you can go through the Old Testament prophets, you can go through the Gospels, you can go through anywhere on any page, and that is always the critical question. What's God doing? Where is he moving people? So what we're going to do is kind of have that mindset and chase through Scripture, and sure enough, we began in the garden. So you all remember the story of how Adam and Eve got rolling, right? So it says that God formed a man from the dust of the earth, breathed into him and he became a living being. Then it says he placed the man in the Garden of Eden. In other words, he was not made there contrary to all the movies. You know, he's always formed in the Garden of Eden. No, he was formed somewhere else and then he was placed into the Garden of Eden. All right. Now we have God's people. There's only one. 
God's person in the right place, the Garden of Eden, which is absolutely everything that God wanted, and he's going to engage with God's presence unhindered. Eve comes around, they just doubled in population, right? So now it's two, I have a little sign out in front of the Garden of Eden, population two. They're in there, and it says that, uh, and God came walking through in the cool of the day. In other words, there was this unhindered, no sin, no bad stuff, complete connection, full communication, absolute relationship, and hanging out with God with no obstacles or blocks. That's awesome. That's what God wants. If you are not in that place in your life right now, God is interested in getting you there. If you are not where God wants you, if you are not experiencing his presence to the depth that is possible, then God is on his way to get you there. It's one of the whole reasons why you are here today. So let's make this all very, very personal. Because we find out that something happened in the garden that screwed everything up. What was it? Sin. Sin is always the issue that kind of wrecks stuff. It's why God hates it so much. If you had an incredible party going on where everyone was being loved on, and then something came in, crashed the music, crashed all the fun, got everybody sad and shut it down, you'd be mad too. It's ruining God's party. God wants us to have all that he gave us. He wants us to have the blessings. He wants us to have the satisfaction. He doesn't want us to be frustrated and angry and agitated and and, uh, sinful and longing for the wrong things. He wants us to be blessed. But man, that sin stuff just keeps screwing everything up. And you kind of go, where did all that stuff come from? Well, let me give you a bigger concept. Whenever God is in, puts us in his place, experiencing his presence, he also puts options in there with us. Options to do otherwise. Why? Because he wants us to love him for real. He wants us to love him because we choose him. He doesn't want to be the only option, so you got to love him. He wants to give you a choice, so you want to love him. So let me ask you, is the reason why right now you are not where God wants you, is it because you chose other? Is that why? I mean, is there something more for you that you have opted out of? That you've said, you know what, God, I'm good. I got got my way. I got my own things. And now you're living less. Man, that's not what he wants. So sure enough, sin comes in and then it says... God had to kick them out of the garden, out of his presence, and had to put an angel blocking the entrance back in. Now, because of choosing other, there's a distance between them and God. That's no good. You find out it actually really robbed their kids, too. Because right off the bat, they have two kids, two sons, Cain and Abel. How did that go? Pretty lame. One just kills the other one. Now, that's, come on, really? There's only two of you. And he kills the other one. And then it says, God said to him, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
I will now curse the ground and shut you out. And it said that Cain had to leave the presence of God and go live in another land. Man, y'all realize that the very definition of hell is distance from God? You know, the whole concept of this this idea of hell that nobody wants to talk about, and and I, I totally get that. I can't even wrap my head around it. But the very concept of hell, it always uses a phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That just means regret and remorse. Meaning, I know that God is there. I just can't get next to him. For eternity? That's a horrible place to be. It's why God has gone to such extreme lengths to say, my love cannot allow you to go there. That's the one place you cannot be is away from me. You have to be with me and I will move anything. I will move heaven and earth to make sure I can get you, but I'm not going to force it on you. Do you want me or not? I mean, I will set up dinner. I will set up a movie. I will set up date night. I will set up everything, but I can't make you love me. You got to choose that. Well, anyway, it moves on and, and things didn't go so great. Right? I mean, after the whole Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel thing, things kind of, everybody kept choosing other as opposed to God. And so God had to hit the rinse cycle. You remember that? It's called a flood. He just kind of floods. And he's like, all right, let's start this over again. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So got a small family, little small group. We're all contained. Everybody know the rules? All right. The rules are all eyes on me, hands in your lap. Okay, great. Everybody look at me. Fantastic. We're going to do the righteous thing. And what I want you to do is, since I kind of cleaned the slate, is we now got to spread out. Everybody spread out. We all got to get out there because I want glory from my people all over the planet that I made. So everybody understand the instructions. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We all good? Everyone goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Sure enough, the next story, Tower of Babel, nobody spreads out. They're all hanging out together. And God's like, yeah, no one's listening to me. They're like, you know what we could do together? We can build like this super God tower and then, and then we can look awesome. And then we never have to move around and we never have to do what God said. So God confuses their languages and scatters them throughout the whole world. Well, then sure enough, they're all scattered out. At least they got that part right. But nobody's really walking with God. There's a couple here and there. So God says, enough of this business. I'm going to focus on one, selects out one guy. His name is Abraham. And that's where our story begins. Would you turn with me in the Bible to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31? It's on page eight. We haven't gone very far. Page eight. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. This is kind of fascinating because this is going to be re-emphasizing why Christmas was so important. You know, we do two different kind of Christmas services. We, we kind of have our family uh, learning about Christmas prep day. That's today. And then we have Christmas Eve where we just soak in it, right? So this one is a little bit more where we use our thinky thinky thing, right? <laughs> this is a little bit more where we actually have to put our brains into action and kind of get the concepts so that we're walking through Christmas rightly getting our head back in the game, not allowing the shopping mall to take our hearts away, where we get right back in the game and we say, wow, God, you are great. Because the one thing that God wants for Christmas is glory. 
we got to give him some glory. That's why we're here, all right? So sure enough, this is where the story begins for Abram. Now, his name got changed to Abraham later, same guy. It says, now Terah, that's Abram's dad, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur, that's a place of the Chaldean people, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. All right, let's just pause for a moment. Somehow, they knew they needed to get to Canaan. Now, we're going to find out later Canaan was a promised land, but they settled in another place. Why? Probably because they were good being there. They didn't want to go any further. There might have been cooler stuff further, but man, it's probably a lot more work. Let's not do that. Okay, let's make this personal. Is there something that God has called you out in? He may even called you out when you were younger. And he began to give you dreams and visions and ideas about what he wanted to do with you. But you found out along the way it was way too much work. And so you just sat and stayed where you were at. There is a promised land. There's something more out there. But there's no way that you have engaged with it because it was too hard. It's too difficult. It was too much. And so you just kind of go, yeah, I'm good with now. I'm good with the way things are. I mean, I, if I told you there's a place that you could get to in your life through spiritual disciplines and through connection with God and through intimacy, there's a place that you could get to, to where every day you can wake up, get downloads from the Lord, check in with him and constantly have a smooth connection with him, him directing your steps and carrying out his power. If I told you that that was possible, but it only required in-depth prayer for two years of three hours a day, would you do it? Most of you would go, oh, I'm good the way I'm at. There's no way I'm putting three hours of prayer a day. No, I'm good. I mean, right now I already got, hey, I got the Bible, right? So, I mean, I can always fall back on this because, I mean, it's all written down. The important stuff's in here. So, you know, we're good. I don't want to do that three hours a day thing. We are very quick to compromise. We're very quick to just shut it down and say we've gone far enough. Here's what's intriguing. God's not. The Bible says that if you're really a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You know what the Holy Spirit really, really wants? All of you being with God. Therefore, he's going to consistently agitate you to move forward. So if you ever feel like, man, why do I always feel like I'm not where I need to be? That's because the Holy Spirit's going, you're not where you need to be. You're like, I don't know. It's like a, a little quiet, still voice. He's like, no, actually I'm yelling. Right? Let's go back to the, the passage. It says, verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years. Man, when is retirement when you live that long? You know what I'm saying? You got your AARP card, at, you know, 65. And then you're like, man, I've had this a really long time. Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, leave everything and go. Now he ends up taking Lot. I think that ends up being a problem for him. But anyway, we'll move on. And I will make you a great nation. That sounds awesome. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Why are we saved? So that we might be a blessing to other people. 
if your Christianity is all about you and really is kind of a private thing between you and God, you kind of miss the point. You're supposed to be a blessing to other people. Your Christianity should mean that your neighborhood is better. Your Christianity should mean that your company is better. Your Christianity should mean that your church is better. Your Christianity should mean that your nation is better. You all understand where I'm going with this, right? So then it says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you while I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Now I'm just going to jump down. It says, and when they came to the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land right here. All right, a couple things. Number one, that sounds like an awesome conversation with God. If God came to you and said, hey, I'm selecting you out of all the people on earth and I'm going to bless the entire world through you, wouldn't you kind of go, dang, that sounds good. Yeah, I like that one. That sounds fantastic. But what's intriguing about that, it's called the Abrahamic covenant, which is basically God saying, I'm going to do this with you right now there's some things i'm going to require from you but make no mistake i will get this done there's a contract what's so odd about it is that there was some fine print in there it sounds like a great thing it sounds like man i'm my name's going to be great i got a lot of offspring people that sounds awesome but have you ever heard like stuff on the radio when they go there's a brand new vehicle and it only costs nine dollars and 99 cents and then somebody comes in real fast and goes There was only actually one of those and it's already gone. You're like, what did he just say? I think he just said there was only one of those and now it's already gone. Right? There's that little fine print. You ever read a contract and then you got the fine print in there? You know, you go, hey, this medication could cure cancer. One of the side effects is cancer. You're like, uh, what? What? take this for nausea. One of the side effects is nausea. And you're like, um, I'm not sure this is working, right? There's always this fine print stuff in there. Well, here's what's super funny. So you hear all this grand stuff, man, you're the people that, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It's going to be awesome. You're going to bless all the people on earth. And then all of a sudden it's like Gabriel slides in and goes, however, you're going to be slaves for 400 years. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you just say we're going to be slaves for 400 years? Uh, yeah. So what, it's super weird. It says, I'm going to get your people in this land. Now you're in it now. You'll be in it for a little bit. And then I'm going to get you out of it for 400 years. You will be slaves. Why? Because the land isn't ready for you yet. I'm still working with those folks. And actually, there's a whole process I'm going through. I'm going to go through it with them for four generations. After that, I'm going to go ahead and close up shop. I'm going to move them out and I'm going to move you in. So you don't realize there's a bit of a hiccup in the plan. All right. So that hiccup begins to happen. Now, we now introduce the concept of place. Remember how we talk about the promised land all the time? Before that, there was no special place. There was no holy land. There was no promised land. But now once God said, this land right here, I will give your offspring, now land is a massive issue. People, place, and presence, right? The Jews are pretty obsessed about land, would you agree? 
And, you know, rightfully so. I mean, there's so many battles going on, even now in modern day. All you got to do is just, you know, fire up some news cycle. Find out how land is going in the Middle East. It's always fight about the West Bank or it's a fight about the Palestinian conflict or it's a fight about something. You're encroaching on my territory. I mean, if, if, if we were able to just reset back and watch how powerful 1945 was, where the Jews come back into their land. Wow. All that happens in our lifetime. We're watching land be a big deal all over again. And Abraham said, I got to be in this land. All right. He was so serious about it is that when it was time for his son to have a a wife, he sent his servant. He goes, you got to go back to where we came. I need you to get a wife from our people group. Apparently Isaac's not cool enough to get his own wife. So I need you to go get a wife. But I'll tell you what, under no circumstances is he allowed to go back where we came from. We've moved out here as a family and we're staying in the promised land of God. Okay, you know what this means to me whenever I hear that? There are some things in your family line that need to stop. God has given you advancement and we're not going back. Abraham was so hardcore about it as he said, under no circumstances, let my family go backwards. We are only in the place of God and we're only moving forward. So let's say your family line has alcoholism. Let's say it has drug addiction. Let's say it has some type of physical abuse or or emotional or verbal abuse. And you realize that God has rescued your nuclear family and moved you here. You cannot allow us to go back. Our family's not going back. And and sometimes the major weapon you have for advancement is prayer. I mean, you got to pray like it matters. You got to intercede for your family to say, under no circumstances are we going backwards. We are only going forward into the promised land of God. I will not retreat. I will not back up. And I'm not allowing my family, my kids to slide backwards. That's not going to happen. I will fight in prayer every day for my family to get us moving forward. So Isaac and Jacob, they end up staying in the land. And if you ever want to memorize the forefathers, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, in that order. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Kind of keeps the story straight. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So Abraham gets into the land. Isaac stays there. Jacob stays there. Now, we remember Jacob's name got changed, yeah? Change to what? Israel. All right. Now he ends up having how many sons? 12. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. So some of you are going, uh, Lance, I know all this. Okay. Genius. The person sitting next to you does not. <laughs> all right. So hang it. <laughs> all right. So we're bringing everybody in. Okay. So the 12 tribes of Israel, right now we get down to the second to last son that is born. His name is Joseph. Y'all know him as the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, right? Okay. He's got the coat of many colors. He has a vision around 17 years old of his family bowing down to him. He happens to share that information. Doesn't go over well. His brothers sell him into slavery and he ends up in Egypt and has perhaps one of the most heinous lives. Now, God keeps blessing him in all the heinousness, but he is now out of the land. Land, big deal. He's not in land. He's out of land. He's now in the bad guy's land. Even though he's flourishing, he's still not home. 
Well, to make a long story short, a famine hits. Everybody needs food. The only place that has it is Joseph's place in Egypt. And the whole family comes and bows down before him to get food. There's the fulfillment of the prophecy. And after all kinds of crazy stuff, God leads him through forgiveness. And he says this. Guys, talking to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Y'all messed up. I get that. I got to let it go because I know that God had something bigger. So what I'm going to tell you is that I was put here for this very time to rescue my family. So I want you to all move here with me. Now, that means everyone leaves the land. They don't want to leave the land. The only reason Israel or Jacob left the land is because God had to appear to him and say, it's all right, buddy, you can go. We'll get you back here. So they all moved over and for the next 400 years, they lived in Egypt. Why 400 years? That was the fine print. The land ain't ready for you yet. So they stayed in the land. They multiplied and became a mighty nation. Now, Joseph was so convinced that what God said was true. His faith was so extreme and he believed it and had such strong confidence. He said, guys, when I die, I want you to take my bones. Oh, you'll get to the promised land. I won't even make it there. When you get there, I want you to bury me there because I'm only looking forward, right? Powerful. So sure enough, we enter in a new story after 400 years of slavery where they're now a mighty nation of about 360,000 people. That's a big labor force. Sure enough, if you're older, it was Charlton Heston. If you're younger, it's Christian Bale. But Moses comes on the scene, right? So Moses comes on the scene, little baby in a basket. Oh, that's weird. Pulls the baby out. He grows up in the palace and gets the best education in the world at that time. Ends up growing up in strategy and military strength and all these brilliance in the palace as the grandson of Pharaoh. Then at the age of 40, God moves him out into the wilderness to do what? Get a whole new education. Here's how you listen to me. Here's how you are quiet before me. Here's how you work with dumb animals. Right? Preparing them to be leader. He now gathers them all together and God says, now that you're 80, you've had an education of 40 years here, 40 years here, I want you to go back. And he shows up to him in a burning bush. This is amazing. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he said, I am the God of your father, your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I have come down to deliver my people out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite people. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, we all know how that story went, right? God comes in, plague, 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 boom, boom, boom. They send them out. Oh no, Red Sea, look, it parts. And they walk through and God says, all right, so we're on our way. This is fantastic. We're going to go into the promised land. So they go right up to the edge. So the promised land, anybody nervous? I'm going to fall off. <laughs> Me too. Cause I wasn't looking. <laughs> they go right up to the edge of the promised land 
And God says, all right, everybody, here we go. I want you to send out 12 spies. I want you to find out what kind of land we're talking about. So they all go out and they come back and they're like, man, this place is awesome. I mean, there's all kinds of huge produce and, and it's, and it's just flowing with richness and luxury. This place is fantastic. So the people go, man, so we're going to go in right now. No, we're not. There are giants in the land. Man, we are Jews. We are not very tall. And they are like huge. Okay, so we're like little baby grasshoppers. And they're huge. So no, we're not going. We even checked out that first city. The first city we'd have to take over is called Jericho. It's called an impregnable city for a reason. There are walls 32 feet thick. No, we're not going. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, guys, hold up, hold up. It has nothing to do with how it looks. Did God or did he not say that we get to go in? If God is going in, he's going to fight for us. I'm not going to allow our circumstance to dictate what we believe. I know it seems impossible, but we're not talking about whether or not it's possible or impossible because with God, nothing is impossible. So of course we're going in. I don't want to settle for less. I I want all that God has for me. I'm not kicking back here and I'm not going to allow fear. I'm not going to allow giants. I'm not going to allow an enemy to stop me from God's best. Everyone else said, well, we are. And they shut them down. They said they were going to stone them to death, the leadership, and say, we're not going in. Well, God said, come here for a second. Sit down. You defy me. You have no faith. You just allow all, just because you see that it's not going to work out. What that means is it's not going to work out. Am I or am I not God? Okay, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to wander around the desert for 40 years. You know why? Because I'm going to wait for y'all to die. Now, not your kids. Anyone 20 and younger, they're all going to get in because this ain't on them. But it's on you. So we're going to walk around in a circle till you die. All right? Because you do not trust me. So they wandered for 40 years. Sure enough, Moses has to go, switches over to Joshua. And here they go right up to the edge of the promised land again. Okay, guys, let's reset. Are we going to do this again? Now, is everybody with me? Yeah, we're going to do it this time. We're tired of walking around in circles. Great. Now I've had to make you so uncomfortable. Now you want the promised land. All right. Are we all seeing the message here? Does God have more for you? Yeah, he does. Are you allowing fear to stop you? Yes, you are. Are you allowing the giants in the land to chase you out? Yes, you are. That is unacceptable. You are looking at it and saying, I do not have the resources to get that freedom. You're absolutely correct. Because they don't come from you. If you had to fight your own battles, you're absolutely right. You're never going to advance. This isn't on you. This is on God. And God can set you free. There are things in our lives that God wants for us that we can't even imagine having. You know, they talk about what you want for Christmas. You know, as a little kid, you kind of kick back and you open up a catalog. For me, it was Sears catalog when you were growing up. You all remember the Sears catalog? And you would circle things and you dog ear the page, right? And you you hand that off to your parents or what have you. Well, I'll tell you what I want for Christmas. Here's what I dream about in terms of Christmas. What I want for Christmas is a church that is unified and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go do what we're supposed to do. What I dream about and what I want for Christmas 
is to be free from stuff that has dogged me for 40 years. What I dream about and what I want in the promised land of my life is that I would like to be able to enjoy the blessings that God has given me and not constantly want something else. I mean, I dream about all kinds of stuff. I want people that don't have a whole lot to have a whole lot. I want the community that we're next to and we're around to feel like our church matters. I want to make sure that if God has more power to move in my life, that I'm not settling for less. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I want for Christmas. And I look at it and I go, man, that's impossible. I don't have the ability to do that. And God says, of course you don't. But I do. So sure enough, Joshua says, all right, everybody ready to go? They said, yes, sir. He said, let me remind you of the rules. Here's the rules. When we get into that land, God is going to fight for us. If we stick close to him, we win. If we don't and we compromise and cave, we will lose. I just need everybody to know the rules. Okay, we got it. Good. Just to let them know it's a complete reset, God parts the Jordan River, just like he did with the Red Sea. Going, guys, we're starting over. Okay, we all good? Good. And they walk through. Notice that the water did not part until the priests set their foot in the water you got to take a step of faith. You know what I'm talking about? This is not, God, you lay out everything and make it easy for me or else I won't do it. God says, you know what? I want you to walk into the scary and then I'm going to start to part the waters. Because it would have been real embarrassing and scary if you keep walking and just drown. (laughs) Right? So that takes some faith. It takes some guts to step forward. I'm making this message way too long. Here we go. I don't even know what page I'm on. Here we go. They get in and they conquer most of it. They didn't conquer it all. There was areas in their lives where they caved and compromised. And that ended up eating them alive. And we started into the period of the judges and it started causing a major, major problem. At one point, things got so bad. They said, we want a king. He'll save us. God said, I'm your king. And they said, yeah, 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 whatever. So we want uh, like a real one. And God said, all right. I'll give one. It's not going to go well for you, but I'll give you one. So he gave him Saul. How'd that work out? Not awesome. He gave him David. Yay, we got one good one. In that time, God said, because you're a man after my own heart, not only am I going to give you freedom and I'm going to give you power and authority and all these other things, but you know what? Through your lineage, I'm going to bring about the Abrahamic covenant. It's going to come on your throne and you're going to have a ruler who will rule forever. Wow. That's a big deal, yeah? Well, then sure enough, he dies and Solomon takes over. Was Solomon good? Yeah, Solomon started out awesome. Ended. (laughs) So after him, the nation split and people started wandering from God. It split into the north and the south. In 721 BC, God had enough and wiped out the entire north. They got chased out of the land and taken away by the Assyrian peoples. In 586 BC, the south was taken out. A king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar the same guy that Daniel hung out with, took them out and exiled the people and took them out of their land. Now God's people are nowhere close to being in the place that he wants them and they're not experiencing his presence. But what's he gonna do? He told them a prophecy. He said, I'm kicking you out of the land because of your disobedience, but I'm gonna get you back in there. After 70 years, why 70 years? I want the land to have 10 cycles of seven years of rest. In other words, you guys have blown things up so bad Even the land is sick of you. I'm going to give it a rest. 
And when it finally regenerates, I'll get you back in there. After 70 years, he has a pagan king of the Persian Empire by the name of Cyrus issue a decree that says the God of the the great God of all gods has told me I need to build him something in Israel. Where did he come up with that idea? God. Why? God can make any national leader do anything he wants at any time. You understand that? Amen. Who's running the show? That would be God. Right? I don't care what the news cycle says. I know who's on the throne. So sure enough, he lets the people go back and they rebuild and you have Ezra and Nehemiah and they build this little city. Well, by the time the Old Testament closes, they're just a little tiny town and they're not at all what they could be. And as a matter of fact, right after that, they continue to be disobedient and God goes silent for 400 years. You ever heard the 400 before? Yeah, then it's time to get new promised land. We've got to reset the cycle. All of a sudden, 400 years later, here comes a young man by the name of John the Baptist. This is where the Christmas story starts. John the Baptist comes out and he looks old school. He looks like Elijah in the Old Testament. He is an Old Testament prophet. He's got a, a kind of a, a funky looking camel hair, long thing with a big leather belt around it, eating locusts and wild honey. He looks like a psycho, right? And he's screaming out, God's on his way. God's coming. And after 400 years of silence, people start taking notice. That's what they want. They want God back. They know it's been silent. They know they've been detached. They are now in the place, but they're not experiencing his presence. They want to be his people, but they don't even know what that means anymore. And then this happens. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, page 807. Side note, I realize I get really loud and then really quiet. The other day I was watching a movie and it kept doing it and it was totally irritating. <laughs> you keep turning the TV up, down, up, down. So if you're listening to this on the radio, I apologize. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Pause. What has always been the problem on why God's people, even if they're in the right place, can't experience his presence? Sin. What needs to get solved? Sin. So God said, I'll go do it myself. It says, and all this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's back. Whoa. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not till she gave birth to his son and he called his name Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter one, verse 26. Go to the right in your Bible to page 855. Luke tells it this way. In the sixth month, Verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. You heard that before? 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Here's the key. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you realize that's the whole reason why God maneuvered around and made them go down to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born? He had to be born in the town of David because he was from the lineage to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant through the Davidic covenant all lined up. There's a bunch of moving around in the Bible. As a matter of fact, not only did they have to get him into Bethlehem, but God ends up maneuvering them and having them go down to Egypt and come back. Why? Because there's a prophecy that says, out of Egypt, I drew my son. And then he has these wise men come from afar and travel on over to make sure that they're in the right place. They said, because a king's going to be born in Bethlehem. Then when they come back, they can't move into the south like they wanted. They have to move up north because their family is in danger. Why? Because he had to be from the north because that was the prophecy. Then he maneuvers them over to the town of Nazareth because he had to be a Nazarene. Why? Because that's what prophecy said. Then he had to move his home base over to Capernaum. Why? To fulfill the prophecy for the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. In other words, God moves and orchestrates and goes check, 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 check all the way down the road, fulfills every promise, nails everything down. All of this is a culmination of a plan from before the dawn of history. And it all comes down to Jesus. Wow. It says that in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the world and the world was made through Him, but they didn't even know Him. He came to His own, to his, but His people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God comes down to solve the problem of sin and makes a new people. People whose hearts would be awakened. That it was no longer a delineation between where you were born and how you were born and what your nationality was and anything else. It was a blessing for all the people on earth. And a wide call went out from God and he said, my people who I love come to me. All of you who are thirsty, come to me and I will give you water to drink. Living water that will rise up from your soul. If you are hurting and thirsty and you're missing satisfaction, you feel like there's a void in your soul, God says, come to me because I can't have you away from me. It has always been about his people needing to be in the right place, experiencing his presence. And God has moved heaven and earth to get you here because this is about you. Notice what Jesus says in Mark 1.14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
And they left their nets and followed him. I entitled today's message, Christmas on the Move. Let's make it personal. Do you all know where this story goes from here? I mean, have you read the end of the book? We end up in a place called heaven. All of God's people experiencing his presence and everything is right. So where are we now in the story? I don't know. What I'm mostly concerned about is what God is doing in his church. Locally, as Bridgeway, we're moving, right? We're moving. Why? Because God wanted it that way. And we're moving on over and we're going to try to use this as a relaunching pad to make sure that we reach out to our community. We're going to use this as an opportunity to get our church more in line with what we want, think God wants. We're using this as an opportunity for all of us to be transformed. But what about the big church worldwide? Revival is happening. God is beginning to wake up his believers all over the world. You now have Korea leading the world in the way that Christ wanted to be followed. You now have eruptions in the Middle East. You now have eruptions in Africa. You now have eruptions all over the place. And all of a sudden, glory is rising all over the place. God's kingdom is breaking in and rattling the cage of the enemy. He's getting nervous. The intensity, the tensions are getting stronger and stronger because Jesus is treading on the other guy's territory and he's taking over. So let me ask you this as we close. Why are you here? Why are you where you're at? Maybe you feel like, man, Lord, I have no idea why I'm here. I feel like I'm just completely sidelined. We had all these plans and now all of a sudden here I am. And I'm sitting over here on the sidelines and I don't get it. Is God pulling a Moses on you? Some of you are on the edge of the promised land and he's going, are you going to let fear stop you? Or are you going with me? Some of you are in the promised land. You're walking in his victory. And there's more land to conquer and you cannot cave. You cannot compromise. You cannot settle and say this is good enough. Until God's done, you're not done. I believe there's more. For all of us. Why are you here? What is God doing with you? And where's he taking you? Are you going to do something with that? Because it's very, very personal. Everyone, individually, God is tapping on your heart. Right? He's working with you and he's saying, what about you? What about you? Stop looking at everyone else. What about you? Are you where I want you to be? Are you moving with me? Are you experiencing the intensity of my presence? If not, why not? What's separating us? Is it because you don't believe enough in me? Is it because this is all new to you? Is it because you think that the church is bogus? Is it because what? What what has hampered you? What has hindered you? What has stopped you from having my best? Because something is stopping us and we cannot allow it to stop us. So God says, you, you walk with me. Come close to me because I'm going to change the world. And I want you to go with me. Are you willing to join in that adventure? If so, it's going to mean great discomfort. It's going to require tenacity to push through. It's going to require patience while God gets his stuff done. But it's worth it. Are we ready to follow God? Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for moving heaven and earth that we might be with you where you're at. Your love compelled you that there was no way you were going to stop short of rescuing your people. As we walk into this Christmas season, Jesus, we solidly look at you and all we see is your love. All we see is your solutions to our problems. That all the problems of the world, they pale in comparison to what you have brought about in answers. And God, we refuse to listen to the news cycle tell us that everything is terrible, not when our king is on the throne. So God, we trust you. We follow you. We want more. We want to go into the promised land. We don't want to shy away. We're tired of walking in the wilderness for 40 years. We want more. We want to press through. We want to believe you. Increase our faith that we might know how to walk victoriously with you. That we would not allow the fear of the giants to shut us down because the produce is great and the land is awesome. And we will not remain content until we have all that you have bought for us. Oh God, give us courage and strength. Give us the ability to realize that we don't always have to have comfort, but we always have to be transformed. Make us move as your people to interact and be the salt and light you designed us to be, to go out into the world and be you, God. To love on the unlovable, to take care of those that are hurting, to be able to heal the sick and to make the lame to walk. That, God, that we would be there to give them a fresh word from you, that we would be out there to pray for them when they're wounded. That, God, that we would be there to be able to say a voice of reason, that we'd be there to give them hope, that we'd be there to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. The prayer team is up here.